0: Well, hello and welcome. We are back again with another episode of our live series. Uh, My name is Guy Stevens. I'm the founder and executive director of the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint. Really happy to have you joining us today. Uh, These interviews and and training things that we do are just really enjoyable for for me and I'm sure hopefully for you as well. Uh, Our mission, of course, at the Alliance is to raise awareness about the issue of restraint and seclusion in schools across the nation. And it's more than restraint and seclusion. It's suspension and expulsion, Uh, corporal punishment, it's a number of things that are being done to kids rather than supporting kids in appropriate ways. And our mission as the Alliance is really to educate uh, the public and bring people together who are dedicated to changing minds, laws, policies, and practices so that restraint and seclusion are reduced and eliminated from schools across the nation and beyond. We've got a lot of viewers now in Canada and Australia and the UK, really all over the world, and we're really happy to have you uh, as part of our community. Our vision is to see safer schools for students, teachers, and staff. And really far beyond that, You know, the, the mission continues to grow. We don't want to see these things being done to anyone, anywhere. And uh, uh, you know, we appreciate that you're with us and, and trying to make some change. So today I'm really excited. Uh, as, as I've said before, I really, really enjoy uh, the opportunity to do these interviews and we have a fantastic guest with us today. We have Dr. Susan Hopkins joining us for a very special interview. I do want to remind you that we take questions in interviews, so feel free at any time to put a, a question in the chat box. And we'll be happy to kind of get to those as we can throughout the interview. Or if you have a comment, you know, feel free to put that there as well. I do want to let you know that today's session, as always, is being recorded. So this will be available later to watch on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, We also make it available as an audio podcast. So uh, those of you that have been with us before, uh, you know how this works. Uh, I'm very excited to, of course, introduce to you my co-host for the day. Uh, Beth Tolly, and Beth is a director of educational strategy here at the Alliance Against Exclusion and Restraint. Uh, Beth has been working really a, a career, uh, you know, on, on issues related to supporting children, and uh, she retired in 2018 from a leadership position in Virginia's Lead Agency for Early Intervention of Infants and Toddlers. And of course, she has experience not only as a parent and grandparent of children that have had behavioral challenges, but, you know, also supporting a lot of other individuals and families. And this has really fueled her passion to improve the lives of children and their families through education, you know, support and advocacy. So Beth, as always, welcome. It's great to see you today.
1: Thank you. I love being here and I love doing this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say something about um, the intro that I am changing how I describe myself. Instead of kids who had behavioral challenges, I'm saying I have kids whose behavior challenged the adults. Um, because I, as I learn more, I see it differently. Um, so I I'm gonna introduce um, Susan to you. And I'm so thrilled to have Dr. Susan Hopkins here. Um, I have been um, involved with a couple of the, I should tell you, do your, your lead in first. I'm just so excited about it. <laughs> Susan's a passionate advocate for children, families, schools, and communities. She's the executive director of the Merit Center. Uh, and that is uh, through SelfReg. selfreg.ca uh, uh, with Storch Over her two decades of experience in education, she has worked in many roles in early years kids in early years, K through twelve, and post secondary across context and places from Italy to the Northwest Territories, including uh, roles of classroom teacher, program support teacher, vice principal, district coordinator for inclusion, researcher, curriculum developer and post-secondary instructor. I don't think you're old enough to have done all these things. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, so um, she led the Northwest Territory implementation of the early development instrument in kindergarten. She co-authored the 10-year early childhood framework, developed the Northwest Territory play and culture-based kindergarten curriculum, and led planning, research and evalu- the planning research and evaluation division for the Department of Education. In under five-plus year, in, in five years of her leadership, the Merit Center has evolved into a highly respected, accessible, and successful center for teaching and learning, self-reg. She recently co-authored Self-Reg School's Handbook for Educators and developed online resources for the Principal's Edition with Stort Shanker. And and I I've um, now I'll say what I was going to say in the beginning because I got ahead of myself I was so excited, um, so I've been participating in a number of the self reg um, offerings. There's a new monthly um, uh, webinar. It's webinar, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is just fascinating. Pulling things together, tying uh, it's reframing. It, it's reframing what we have um, learned or what we knew in the past. Um, and, and then Susan always follows Stort's talk with um, unpacking it and just uh, amazing how you are able to <laughs> redo your what you're going to do based on what he just said that he didn't tell you before. <laughs> so I'm I am thrilled to have you here.
2: Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, thank you for that. That lovely introduction. It's it's funny when you said that's a lot of stuff for your age. I just finished coloring my hair, and I said to my daughter, "Good look, ten years, ten years younger."
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: it makes a difference. I said i would never color mine until my granddaughter's kids said, "Oh, you're too old to be married to him." To, to about my it. husband, but that's it. Coloring the hair.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I just are, never I, thought about that. <laughs> Maybe next time. That's something to look forward to. But well, uh, you know, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we really appreciate it. You know, I, we were getting an opportunity to talk a little bit before before we started here, and there were many things that you said that, that really interested me. But but let's talk a little bit of first about kind of you know you have over two decades of experience you know in the field of education. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Because I know as you, even as we were talking earlier, you were describing you know the different roles that you were in, and I'd love to hear about that journey. And also about it as it relates to kind of where you've ended up in terms of behaviors. I mean, you know, we're we're really um, concerned about a lot of the negative things happening to kids, restraint, seclusion, suspension, expulsion. I'd love to hear about your journey through that lens as well and what you've learned.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because the people I grew up with cannot believe I'm a teacher. <laughs> and the people that know me now are like, you were an at-risk youth. You know, I dropped out. Of, I did just about... Yeah. The police were never involved, but short of that, you name it, I did it, you know, and I really struggled in my teenage, year. I struggled in the younger years with teenagers as well. So I had always sort of had this passion and there were some diagnoses <laughs> that came along the way. You may notice what some of them are as we move, you know, and so there were, I struggled, uh, you know, along the way to sort of, um, I, I don't know, find my way, I found my way into education, um, but I had always had a passion um, for children that struggled. I always had this passion for children that struggled. And so I spent many years working in areas of inclusion. That's sort of what led me into the early years. And it's really how I first found Dr. Stuart Shanker. Um, I I always knew he has this saying, um, and and you all will get a chance to hear a great interview with him and learn more from him. But he has this saying that there's no such thing as a bad kid. And I Mm -hmm. really believe that you know, and, and but I also knew that I, you know, I, I did things like see children with soft eyes uh, over the years, and and yet it, I wasn't able to change behavior. So I, I focused very much on so trying to find ways to support children, trying to find ways to po- support families. I worked with marginalized populations. I advocated, I did all sorts of things in the area of education, and the, all those roles that you talk about that sort of wove together. Um, but there was a gap. I used to think I knew what this thing called self-regulation was. I mean, I spoke about it, um, and I had learned about it, you know, and I thought it was this idea of managing yourself, managing your things, managing your stuff, you know self control. I had all of these sorts of ideas, but it didn't explain what happened when you didn't have you know like that sounds great. I joke about my miss Vicky's potato chips. I have lots of lots of self control until i don't right, so mm-hmm. what happens when we don't, and this is the children that get in the most trouble all of the times, both the explosive and the the ones that turn inward. Um, and how do we see them differently? And then I discovered Sir Jenker about 10 years ago now, and we work together um, in a whole bunch of different ways. And he's, uh, he's the most brilliant per- scientist I know. He synthesizes and he's just always thinking and it's towards this goal of supporting children. And, and it showed me this new understanding of self-regulation that was really the original understanding of it, um, about how we manage stress uh so much more than just the, how that simply sounds on the surface and it was game changing for me because it helped me uh i mean so much so that i moved across the country and i've been living in <laughs> a totally different province just to run his organization it's my home now right um in 2015 because it, the work was so important because i just thought it was a game changer it would change how i saw myself as a teenager it changed it yeah. gave me answers to all those questions that i was never able to answer you know you sort of help kids to a certain extent but what is the actual shift? And it's, it's the science and it's his work. So long story, uh, but it kind of weaves together like a, a life of passion of trying to help the kids that struggle the most.
0: What do you think? I mean, how were you impacted? You know, as a, you know, you, you know, and that was, I really appreciate you sharing that, you know, with us, but, you know, in your own journey, you know, as a student that was having difficulty, you know, how, how were you, you impacted and, and how did that lead you to kind of want to make a difference for, for other kids?
2: Well, I just remember feeling so alone. I mean, there were some there were some things going on in my home. There were things that sort of connected to it, but I was, you know, I was actually kicked out of school at one point. I failed math by one forty nine out of fifty, so that tells you how much the teacher liked me, you know and and I felt very alone. In fact, I was always, um, you know, it was a teacher that made the difference for me, right. a couple of teachers, actually, that made a real difference for me. And I wasn't, you know, sometimes we have I've, I read a blog on, on resilience because sometimes we have this idea of kids that struggle and we think they struggle all the time, 24 right. seven. Well, I had a part time job. I was given responsibility. I was actually pretty, you know, I had these sort of two different sides to me going on at the same time, but I was really struggling and I I didn't feel I had anywhere to turn. Um, you know, for many years, I like I actually consider myself kind of lucky that um, I didn't get to be honest with you that I didn't get introduced to to heavy heavier drugs or anything like that, right? Because I, I was really a lost kid trying to find her way um, to grown up in some ways and and struggling, and so um, you know the school like this is a long time ago. I'm 52, so you know you you're going back you know three and a half decades, four decades, and it's but they didn't know how to deal with. With, with really, uh, you know, the behavior stuff in the high school was you were just put out, right? You had to conform or you were out. And, um, uh, you know, and like I had to go back and finish it in my 20s so I could go to university. So it, it really has sort of sat with me. And I've also seen children in my work as a teacher. Like I consider myself first and foremost a teacher these children that we underestimated or we thought they weren't capable of things or, you know, or they, they, they were, you know, doing things that got them terrible, not nice things. Like it's not nice things. You know, I, I could think of a, a little boy once that took a, a lighter, he was flicking a lighter and don't ask me why this is when I was a vice principal. Don't ask me why the, the teacher didn't hear the flicking of the lighter. Like I, I know that sounds like a no brainer, but, but this teacher didn't and he's flicking the lighter which you know anybody that begins to think about all of this stuff even that sort of tells you something why it's, what, what are you getting just from that flicking and it and it lit, lit, lit the hair of, a, of another little oh, gosh yeah i mean it it was out in two seconds but you can imagine the smell you can imagine the 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 whirlwind and the chaos that happened that happened in a, in, in that. Right. And, and I still remember this little boy coming into my office. He really was. He was grade four at the time. He's, he's a young adult now. Um, and, and, you know, he just, everything I could read about him, like he was in a complete, and a stress state. He didn't even know what he had just done. Mm-hmm. And people will hear me say something like that. And they'll think, Oh, you're trying to let him off. no, <laughs> no, but how do we help this young man through this and on the other side, right? And how do we see it differently? And, you know, I still remember him, this the shaking. And if I'd have responded, I mean, how I responded really mattered in that particular moment because he would have bolted, he would have, you know, acted out in certain ways. How do we see these children that had these behaviors? Um, and the explosive ones, but also the ones that go beneath the radar, which was me mm-hmm. for a lot of years, right? Mm-hmm. Go beneath the radar. <laughs> right,
0: right. But, but you know, you said something and, and I'll be quiet in a second. So, but yeah, I I know you, you're ready to go, but you, you had said something about, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, a teacher at some point that had kind of made a connection with you. And, you know, of course yeah. that gets the, the, the point that I'm always making about relationships and the, the you know, how important these relationships are. Do, do, do you still remember that teacher that, that really was one of the, the first, because you, it sounded like you said there were a couple of it, you know, began to, um, I mean, was that one of the the points Uh, that helped you to?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, the very first one, so I've got told you about my teenage years was just when I got in trouble, but my, you know, I was really struggling in in my younger years. I have my lovely daughter delivering me tea. So I'm going to take my tea Say thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Sienna. <laughs> She'd love to do a cameo and say hello.
0: She's oh, welcome. Yeah, to She's welcome. Come, come <laughs> say hello like to that. us.
2: <laughs> anyway, my first was uh, grade four, Mr. Grant, and I actually reached out to him a few years ago. I found him. He'd be 75, 77. He's still, you know, he, he, I, I, he was the first adult that ever treated me like a person. I don't know how right. to explain that, but it was game changing. Isn't that for a me. critical
0: point though? I mean, is, isn't game that the critical changing. point? It
2: is yeah, a game Absolutely. changing, you know, and growing up in a house where, you know, the opinions you, you were seen and not heard and all these sorts of things. Um, and then I had a high school principal and he was the one that was the vice principal. He would suspend me, but he kept telling me you're better, you know, You've got so much in you. So he really, I knew he believed in me. He liked me. He'd roll his eyes every time I got sent down the office for something, you know. He made a really big difference. And there was another teacher as well. It's interesting. Relationships, we've been talking about how important relationships are, like, in education for decades. We all know that. But we gloss over what it actually means to a certain extent. It's, It's not, I'm not suggesting that, you know, all educators, I mean, if you're an educator, you get that your relationship matters. And we say that. Um, but then what do we do when we don't have a strong relationship, right? It, it, it's interesting, like the, the science that we look at is called the interbrain, which I'm sure Stuart will talk to you about. Um, but it's like imagining, I, I love thinking of this because it's like a Bluetooth. So it's Digby Tantum's work um, and uh, he's out of the UK and it's like, it, it's a, it's like a, a Bluetooth between people. We think of it as a caregiver and an infant, but it's it's equally um it can be it can also be online by the way right i felt this sort of connection with beth during conversations we had after the the workshop she talks about um but it's like it's like this connection and we communicate um it's not just by the words i share when we share a laugh you know or we share a story or you have this emotion there's these connections and we need those children who struggle especially need those and so this idea of talking about the importance of relationships Um, is an important one if you're a teacher that uh, you get relationships and you you know you have these kids that you know you've touched their lives and you've made a difference some of them you'll know and others you won't right that that relationship has been the conduit of everything if we have kids that we don't have relationships with those are the ones that can can really throw us off Mm -hmm. Um, I find in the educators I work with because we all care about kids we just have different ideas about what we need to do you know, to support their well-being. That if, you, if you're if you a relationship builder and you can't connect with a kid, um, that can be very hard on us. And we don't even think about it, but it's actually our stress. And it's just, there's reasons. There's always a story. There's always more you don't understand that for some reason that child just doesn't feel safe in all the different ways. And you keep working on the relationship in all sorts of ways. Because once you have that little, that link, magic can happen, right? Magic can happen. So yes, they make a huge difference.
1: And I, I have like, every time you talk, I've got six more questions and then I forget them <laughs> because I'm old. <laughs> um, so, but, but there's one that particularly I want to hone in on. Um, that's a two-part question. So I think that we don't, and it, it, you and sort have talked about this. You can't tell by looking the level of stress. Some of the kids that look the most calm have this. Um, it, 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 he said something, uh, at one of the, the presentations about that, that they're, they're in their sympathetic system, yeah. even though they look calm and you don't yeah. see that. Um, so you can't just look and know. So that was one thing. And, and maybe you could talk more about that, but let me say the next thing, um, was this, how we teach teachers about relationships. Um, mm-hmm. I, I read the guidance that was developed by our national technical uh, training, technical assistance organization. It was, it was a set of suggestions for what to do to help reduce this disproportionality um, for kids with disability, disproportionality of punishment for kids with disabilities and and black and um, indigenous kids, black and brown and indigenous. And um, one of the things that it said is do greetings as they come in the door, but it explained it by saying, use this greeting as a mechanism to remind them of the rules and of the this and of the that. It wasn't interactional. It was I'm going to tell you, this is where you can tell them you know what what the expectations are of them. Not relationship, but that's how it's interpreted. Yeah. Oh my goodness, how'd that happen? I- <laughs> these off so you know
2: problem. you're not the yeah. only one that's old i'm old too so i'm already on to your next question with your first tell me your first one one more time because it was an important one and i have a good like, an answer that might help folks with that
3: one
1: um the fact that some of the research has shown that these kids who look calm oh yeah and you think that they're in um parasympathetic state are actually yeah. underneath if you do the brainwave or the whatever it is oh. not wave You see that they are really hyped up.
2: Well, and you have to remember, well, calm and and quiet are not the same thing at all. Mm -hmm. And it's why we have to catch ourselves when we, like if you yell at a kid and you think all of a sudden they're being compliant. And I I want people out there to know, you know, we're human. So it's not about being perfect. We've all had moments. I've had moments like as a teacher and as a parent, like, but you recognize it for what it is. It's excessive stress and you don't know what to do about it, right? But we think that we suddenly got them compliant when we've actually shifted how their brain states function and we've turned off the part of the brain that we would want to be really i mean i'm oh, i'm not a neuroscientist so i'm really simplifying something that's very complex but literally the brain shifts into a survival state it's mm-hmm. functioning in a different kind of way and not only is the sympathetic system going out of out of the you know out of your heart so you think of a deer in the headlights for example so we think of that as a freeze but there's also another response which, which is actually a shutdown and it's it's the heart rate slows way down and it's an even deeper survival response I mean it's part of trauma right so it's survival and we you know I love Pit porges's Steve porges's approach of thanking our bodies because you know under these circumstances it does but that is not calm and actually calm is a joyful uplifting feeling right it's not quiet it's totally different so on you know oh gosh, you can tell it's the end of the day and so on to the second piece of things. <laughs> 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 give me a q word sorry the people there's people
1: online that oh, relationship relate how relationships are taught or described greet at, greet at the door is one of the really good things yeah. that we've done to establish that relationship but in this document i read it was described as a means of reminding people here's our, what the here. expectations are
3: here's
2: our problem with what we've done in education in my my opinion and i've written curriculum i've been part of of strategies i've been part of directives i've been you know and i am not anti-program okay i'm really not there are some good programs out there i've taught some good programs i've incorporated some good programs but we've somehow shifted it's not just the age of accountability which you folks all in the u.s have part of have had your ripple effects with your no child left behind and things have had ripple Mm -hmm. effects here in canada too it's not just that that's part of it but we're getting to the you know the point where we think the data is giving us answers, and we've we've really moved too far away from it in my perspective, and we've forgotten teachers' professional judgment is something that I'm really passionate about. There's a lot of work on this out of New Zealand. and it is, you know really when they when they compare the data of what what you know, some test of whatever you're going to pull up, thinks versus what we understand about a child they're a, a teacher's professional judgment they're actually pretty close so again i'm not anti-assessment i mean i ran research and evaluation for a long time but i think we've gotten away from genuine being and connecting and living and even the idea of curriculum like i like curriculum thinking of it okay yes you plan but if a meteor lands in the backyard and you don't stop and do something different if it is june and there's a snowstorm outside and you just keep going because, you know, it's the same with these relationships. So these ideas about, you know, the, the friendship, you know, the, the taps and the different things, I, I think they're kind of cute, to be honest with you. But are <laughs> they for everybody? No. And really, it's those they're just they're strategies in a bucket. You know, we've gotten to the idea of where a, a, a little, you know, a quick kind of idea is a strategy. No, a strategy has a goal. My goal is I'm trying to build a relationship with this child. Oh, I tried that. That didn't work. Okay, that's not a strategy. That's something you tried and you moved on and maybe you do different things in different ways. And we as educators also have our own way of relating with people. So I'm, I, I used to try that, like I'm, I'm not a fan of the sticker charts and all of these sorts of okay. things. I tried them as an educator. But what really worked for me was getting to know each and every child in different ways and listening. Like, it's not just an idea and intuition, like you said, Beth, that we don't know. But when we actually begin to notice and really, you, first of all, you can look for some signs. You can see changes in pupils. You can see, like, the, the boy, CJ, I told you about when he looked. At the it, it, I swear I could you see the hair standing on ends. I could see his body poised you know, sort of in a fight or flight, which, and I mean, I know the science bit bit of the future would tell me his legs were full of, you know, there was more blood to the the muscles of the legs so that he could dart if he needed to. Right. Uh, So we, there is some of that, but we can Mm -hmm. also trust what we call our intuition is actually your stress system picking up the child's stress. So if something feels uncomfortable, trust that, right. If I, like, I always think, you know, you've got children that come into the school, the classroom and, 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 they're having, you already know the moment they walk through the door. You already know. And maybe it's because you met the school bus and you saw something when they got off, or maybe it was just, you sensed something that is, we should trust that that's teacher
3: mm-hmm. professional
2: judgment. That's at the universe. It's not, I mean, I know Stuart talks about education assistance and raises them up and I agree, but also think of us as teachers, as the, the universal person, the person that children spend most of their day with, that's our job to figure out ways to connect. And when it's hard on us, just notice that for what it is. It's mm-hmm. hard when I can't sue the child. It hurts me; like it makes yes. me uncomfortable. But that's right. a different thing than the child needs to change.
0: Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned something that really resonated with me. And, and you know, I have a, a background in in science, um, so you know, I appreciate data. But at the same time, uh, there's a point where we don't need more data to know certain things. Yeah. And there's a point where I, I, I remember a particular teacher who worked with my son who had a clipboard and every time my son did something wrong, she would mark it down on her clipboard and and he became uh, tuned into what was going on. And I I remember the day that he said, do you ever mark anything I do right? Because he felt that under the microscope in terms of just having data collected. And, and, you know, that point about the, the, the importance of relationship is just, so so critical, um, you know, and, and following intuition, and, and you know that that may be systemically where where some things have gone wrong um, in, in systems that you know we get um, more concerned and take away some of the autonomy uh, behind people that might be really fantastic educators uh, and able to connect with kids. But the the other thing you said that really connected with me was you know, the different states that a kid might go into. And I always think about Ross Green and, and talking about yeah. kind of the lucky ones and unlucky ones that if you're a kid who might shut down when you become overwhelmed or cry or have some other kind of stress reaction, you might elicit empathy. But if you're the kid who tries to run away or fights back or enters that fight or flight mode, you know, you might be getting restrained, secluded, you know, all of these negative things happening to you. Um, and and you're, you're so right on that you know, if you're able to form those genuinely relationships, you know, I, I always get the concern when I hear people say like, well, the behavior came out of nowhere, but you just, wow, brought it, brought that point it, up. Up. it doesn't. Right. Wow. So, so what do, what do we do to change that? What do we do? You know, if, if you're a teacher and we have lots of educators that, that join us in, in these uh, broadcasts, you know, what do you do as an educator? I, you know, I know you work a lot with teachers. How do you begin to work with them to begin to look for some of these signs?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think the first thing to tell you is that when I'm saying teacher professional judgment, I'm not suggesting a free for all, you know, or no boundaries or or no structure. And I really believe, I, I mean, I'm a strong advocate for self-directed professional learning as well. You know, like we need to dive deeper. When we, the thing that really changed for me, I, I self-reg resonated with me. So the understanding of stress, and we have five steps, or I like to think of them as five practices. Um, but it was the science. It's like, wait a minute, right? You know, I, how can I explain this? How can I see this this differently? Um, so, I mean, I think that that's one of the things is realizing um, it's just it's almost like the professionalizing, reprofessionalizing of 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 it, of not micromanaging every little bit, and that's really hard. And I'm sorry, I, I see a couple of, of I see a principal online that I know, uh, Brad Hughes, right? And so I'm not trying to suggest that any anybody at a leadership level is, you know, usually people that are doing that, they're trying to control, the, you know, and make things better for kids. But what really works is engaging, engaging, like I personally find engaging with some of the science, learning a little bit more about it, thinking about how it applies in your context, and then taking some action. I also think we need from an, you know, from a data perspective, um, you know, we, we need to value not just the bums and seats kind of data, you know, the quantitative data, the the qualitative data and and yeah. thinking about it connected to purpose. There's a huge inequities. If you look at at data, uh, one of the things that I think should should jump us into change and really reflecting is that, um, you know, if you look at um, the rate of of the likelihood of being, I wish I could pull up some some stats for you off the top of my head and I can't, but they're out there about if you're, you know, a, a black youth, you are way more likely to be suspended and over the same mm-hmm. sorts of, 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 incidents, right? How does mm-hmm. that happen? And is that just be, be, you know, is that intentional? No, it's actually embedded into the way that we do things. Yeah. So I, you know, I thought about, um, You know, I'm always interested in the how. My work in in the Reg is about how and trying to think about Mm -hmm. um, how do we take this science? And, okay, so it's nice to have, you know, um, professors. And Stuart is like, you won't get any better than, like, honestly, every time I talk to him, Beth talks about how I keep up with him. Like, I have to sleep for two Last week, I went to sleep afterwards. It's a lot to try to keep up. It's it's really inspiring and hopeful, Mm
3: -hmm. but also a
2: lot to try to digest and make sense of. Um so I think it's like a really big key is to t- kind of to try to think of the science and think about um how it applies and it's very important that we um begin you know we many people begin thinking about what they can do to t- change the child or the youth mm-hmm. right? right when I right. hear about your your son asking that question I instantly go to how quick is that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's actually kind of a witty response or, you mm-hmm. Know, mm-hmm. so you know it's seeing the strengths in that um, but we, what really matters is us adults. Um, one of the,
0: um,
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, one of the people in my community, um, Joe Persia, and I'm not sure if he's on here or not. He he wrote a, te- a tweet last week that said, you know, the child is only one dysregulated adult away. Like that stays. <gasps> I love right. it. And when we hear that, educators, it's not to say our parents, it's we like you think we need to move away from. Anger and I understand the anger when you've had, you know, I've heard some stories that are frustrating on both sides, you know, and Mm -hmm. and towards the schools and things. But I I really I've never met an educator that really didn't care about kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we start with these sorts of places of saying, okay, you know, I I fought once against um, success classes in a school board I was in and, you know, they're called different things in different places. And uh, I really believe that I really believe in inclusion, genuine inclusion, not just co-location, genuine Mm -hmm. inclusion. Um, And I still do. I really do. And, you know, and 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 I think it's what's best, not just for those kids, for all children and and for youth and societies as a whole. It's where we need to go. Mm -hmm. Saying that and believing that doesn't mean it's easy. I had somebody challenge me and saying, I believe it, too. Show me how.
3: Right. Yeah. And right.
2: what I love about that is if we stay with that question, we we honor it for what it is and say, that's something I haven't figured out yet. So maybe we run our success class for a while because we don't know what else to do. But we're not saying the kids need to change or conform because some of these many of the young people that need, you know, need the relationships the most need high quality pedagogy that's the other thing we pull out and we sort of we you know they're they're missing out on some of the the rich pedagogy that for learning and the opportunities to you know explore new things and create mm-hmm. their own questions and and they get pulled out because people don't know what else to do that's a different right, starting right.
3: point
0: right, right. <laughs> right? Can, can i share one one quick thing with you just as you were talking through this i wrote down a note and um um, you know, I was hearing what you were saying about, um, you know, what happens in schools. And, and the note I wrote down to myself was, you know, one of the problems that we see happening with with kids is the approaches are often very control and compliance based. It's, yeah. it's all about compliance rather than being connection and compassion based. And as I thought that further and, and there was something you said that triggered in my head that, you know, this is the same thing that our educators need rather than control and compliance. The educators also need connection and compassion, you know? Um, So, you know, this, this isn't just about providing something to the students. It's not necessary as well. You know, it's like when you see people doing approaches that are really effective, I think about somebody like Matthew Portell and trauma informed approaches. It's not just what you're doing for the kids, but also for this, you know, the staff and the teachers.
3: Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: It's a fo- it should be the focus for leaders, right? You can't lend calm if you're not calm. Right. And, and, you know, and sometimes we're just not calm. And I think we also have to be, I tell a lot of stories about being not calm when I'm not doing live events because um, a, it's, it's easier and it's fun, um, but it also makes it safe for people. Like this is not, oh, you learn this stuff and you never have what we call a red brain moment. You're going to have red brain moments, how to understand them differently.
1: Could you take a moment? Um, I'm sure a lot of people um, may not be familiar with red brain,
2: yeah. red brain brown
1: brain. Do, could you just explain that?
2: Yeah, for sure. So we use in our work, um, we use as, there's a whole lot of science that is that is synthesized to make the self-break framework, which is a five domain framework. It's biological, emotion, cognitive, social, and pro-social. And it's five steps or practices, reframe behavior, recognize and reduce stress, Reflect, that's about interception and becoming stress aware. And step number five is really all about restoration. Um, but we use, we synthesize a number of areas of the science. I don't, we, <laughs> steward does, <jazz. laughs> I try <laughs> to, <think laughs> about, right? and, and it, um, and so there's a lot of, uh, Steve Forge's polyvagal theory is in there. Um, Robert Thayer's, um, energy tension matrix is in there, which is important because it ties in the physiology. Um, uh, the, um, Gluckman's mismatch theory about, you, you know, so there's all sorts of have areas the interbrain that i've already spoken to you about but one of the cores is the um is the triune brain which is it's just a metaphor and it, it, look if there's neuroscientists on the on the call today that there's there's not everybody loves the triune brain because you know the the debate that that is actually an image of the of the brain i wonder if i have my little hand brain. bear with me I, I use a glove, which is a combination of, of Dan Siegel's. I didn't have this one ready to go. But if, if you ever want to make these yourself, you go to a, a, you know, a cheap dollar store or whatever and buy a red one and a blue one, cut oh. out the blue thumb and you put it right over. Right. And so Dan yeah. Siegel talks about flipping your
3: lid. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. And different, you know, you're talking um, um, about uh, Ross Green's work. It's the same sort of thing. It's, it's, it, these are different models of evolutionary models of understanding um, that um, uh, different that our brain actually developed over evolution and the certain parts of the brain are recruited under certain, certain states. So we tend to think everything is blue brain, which you'll have to bear with me in a, and believe that that's this part. So it's the, it's the neocortex. Um, so it is what houses, uh, you know, anything that we would want, rational, rational thought, its ability to uh, feel empathy and take on other people's you know perspectives um all the good executive functions which are, are important right but delay gratification these sorts of things um, um, but beneath that are the the it's limbic system um, which we share with mammals and that's really people think of that as the 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 part of the brain that that um you know like fight or flight is um they make a lot is what calls out for the brain to respond um, and, uh, but it's so much more than that. It's really the part of the brain about connection with other human beings, right? So if you and if we're in a group with a hundred people and one of us gets scared because they see, a, God forbid, a tarantula, you'll feel that will go around the whole room instantly right Mm -hmm. and and so that's actually the limbic brains communicating it's not words it's not thought it's actually beneath that and then the reptilian brain is um the brainstem, and and it's the oldest part of our brain and you know when we when we withdraw and go into a complete shutdown um it's the basic sort of functioning that that's that's that keeps going and and it's that part of our brain that like we use the language of running the show um the thing is to remember that like i like thinking in terms of what to do is is like if you look at the self handbook but you can also look up um even if you don't have the handbook there's all kinds of free resources we'll, i'll share a link it's on pearson if there's anyone online that knows that the link it's pearson education um in canada it's hard to get the book in the us um, but like we we think about Um, you know, how to turn it, think about how to create a blue brain space. Gene Clinton, Dr. Gene Clinton talks about you make the weather as a principal. You make the weather as a teacher. You know, you make the weather as a dad guy, right? So that's sort of a neat way of thinking about, okay, how can I shift? You know, you can see how everybody could go red brain um, under... You know certain elections or you know heavy speech or you know, something that people feel power you know and get polarized on but we can also do it in a positive way kids singing and connecting or certain kinds of like for me I think of music or a dance I mean there's all sorts of ways that uh, that we can we can do it in a positive way so if you look online there are resources where you can begin to think it's I mean it's a good way to stand back and say okay as an educator even it's just an idea metaphor, how can I think about making this more blue brain? Which like it's not all Spock and logical. That means we're able to connect and feel one another, our digestive systems are working, you know, our immune system's online and you know, we're we're in enough balance that we're a little we're resilient enough. We can handle a few bumps in the road and solve problems and uh yeah, so long, long explanation and I but I was gonna show you this because Dan Siegel does flip your lid. It's the same sort of science. He just talks about it. I think he talks upstairs and downstairs brain that mm-hmm. under, you know, under threat state, you know, you flip your lid and, and the blue brain goes offline um, and just he just uses the hand model of the brain. Right. So it's kind mm-hmm. of an interesting and kids like it, especially kids that get in trouble because all of a sudden it's not, no, you were a bad kid. It's like, okay, what you did is not okay. You don't have to say it was okay. No, it's not okay. It's not what we do. That's not who you are. Right. But you went red, brain. Let's focus that's on right. getting you feeling a little better first. Let's get the balance just through the relationship and being with, and then we'll figure out
1: what we need to do to solve this problem. That's, yeah, that's, I,
3: that's I love that you. Good.
1: Yeah, I love the way you explained that and yeah. how to interact with the child. Um, who's yep. gone
0: offline. Uh, I, I love the glove too. Uh, I'll let you know, Susan, I was, I was talking to a educator uh, in Canada that you connected to me to recently, who, who during the conversation brought out his glove and put it on and we, we were just chatting. Uh, so that, that's why I had a smile on my face when you brought the glove out. I'm like, you know, oh, you know we were talking about this <laughs> just- oh, yeah,
1: That's right, that's right. There is um, this discussion, I've, I had it like one of my first questions, but I think now's a perfect place. We've, there, you've talked about two things in the very beginning. Um, or maybe I just thought about it. But I know you talked about how you can be handle something one time and not handle it another time. Yeah. Kids are beat up all the time because the expectation of the adult is, you did it yesterday, you can do it today. What's the matter with you? Um, and and it's, we have lived so much of our life unconsciously with that idea, all of us, that if you master a task, you mastered the task. And what the science is showing us, what you just talked about, is that it's going to depend on your, your state. Um, and, and it's perfectly natural not to be able to do a skill you did one time, uh, every time. Uh, but we do want to be more consistent. The, the thing I, w- there's one statistic that Stuart has said several times about looking into that you guys looked into self reg versus self control. Uh-huh. The definitions and how many of them defined actually self control, and how many were actually definitions of self reg. I don't have those numbers in my head. Do you? Do you keep? Yeah, those it's four hundred
2: and forty-seven. It's a it's a, a study in child development in twenty sixteen or fifteen. Um, Jeremy Berman and Stuart Stuart Shanker as well. So. And they looked at, because the problem is you Google self-regulation right now, you're probably going to get self-regulation of the media, self-regulation of business. All of us think that it means manage yourself. I get a report card in in Ontario, um, and please, I hope they change these soon, you know, that looks not so different from when I was a little girl, from my daughter about you know, her ability to manage her stuff and organize things and,
3: you know, and,
2: and I've got some, I never got, you know, the the N, the dreaded end needs to improve. Um, but it's really funny. It's really funny because Stuart talks about Sienna as being like, she's actually taught her class over many times over the years. She first did it at three years old they, or in grade three um, they started talking about the brain. They said, who knows about the brain? And, you know, up her hand goes and she she can tell you about red brain and she can tell you, you know, so she understands self-regulation as being understanding your stress. Um, and, like, we just talk about it as managing energy and tension. It's, it's oversimplified. But if I'm about to lose my, my temper mm. and I go and take a few breaths by myself, that's a good thing. I've noticed what to do and I've taken a few moments, right? And so what we do to, to kids, like, I honestly um, – you know, as an educator for a very long time, there's some really neat self- breakers on here that you may want to tap into. I see Lisa Pinhorn and Brad Hughes. There's some neat people on here that are are living and practicing this Ooh, yeah. in all kinds of different ways. I'm sure there are others, but those are names that I'm seeing. Um, but we we've we've lived our you know education, like why has an education changed? And again, i'm i'm I you know I've been part of education for almost twenty two or twenty three years now. We've all been marinating, you know, in this way of doing education. You look online, like look at TV shows about what they portray of what it's like in a school. You know, look at, at what it's how kid we learn we, we about how reading is learned. Like we need to spend time with the research. I think we have a perfect opportunity right now, thanks to COVID. And I'm not really thankful to COVID for much of anything. Right. To be honest with you but we've disrupted some stuff Mm -hmm. and I'm not suggesting throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's an awful lot of very good things happening in schools all over the place. But, but one of the things we have is this power differential that Mm -hmm. is really troubling. And so, and and I think it's time, you know, really to disrupt and ask why and why now and begin to, you know, supporting educators who do like when we revert to a self-control mindset. I mean, I, uh, you know, uh, the I've I've had to deal with teachers that have a self control self control means it's all within the individual, so it's an important. This is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. saying the difference means it's all within the individual, and it's it's some version of those other four hundred forty six definitions were you know, self-regulated learning. So managing your learning, Um, social-emotional learning, which again, not anti-social-emotional learning. These are good things, but what happens when when they're not available and when they don't actually show up in the everyday, you know, you teach about it and then it doesn't sort of shift. Um, Executive function, um, you know, uh, uh, managing your things, managing your stuff, managing your behavior. So it's managing, 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 managing. When really the original definition of self-regulation um, the very first one. I if it helps you, I tried to get Stuart years ago to change the term. I'm like, everybody is confused. They think it <laughs> means what you should do and make a list of more to dos. And he's like, I can't change the term, Susan. It's science. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know, we get on trying to get, help people understand. If somebody starts saying things to me about self-reg or self-regulation, I always ask them, and I try to do it as as genuinely and 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 with openness as possible. What is your definition of self-regulation? And when I do that, I get, like I did it last week on a workshop I was on and everybody said emotional rate, managing your emotions. No, believe it or not, it's not. It's not from the, not from the definition we're working with. And that's not to say all the defi- other definitions are wrong or the programs that go with them, they're not. They're actually real definitions, but it's important we're talking apples to apples. And to me, the programs and the self-control ideas, that's what I worked with for years. And, and I could only get so far where understanding that there's this brain body stress response system and these underlying states in individuals. And it's never just within the individual. It's always within relationships. It's never just one. It's within relationships. That's the game changer. Because all of a sudden, once you learn a bit of this, you begin to see differently ask different questions you stop looking for the strategy in the bucket you stop thinking why am i now what more can i understand here you know and i know that the the kids who give you the hardest time is a quote i don't even know who to attribute it to are the ones you're gonna you know the the ones who show you in the most unloving ways are the ones who need you the most Right. right and how do we stay with that and know there's science there is science that's the that's exciting thing to me about education and the shift we're at You know, to stand back and why am I doing this like this? Because it's Mm -hmm. always been done like that? Okay. And you want to go find, you know, like why? And is this really about learning and the purpose of education and what we need as a society and what the children need? And even, honest to God, how how the math, people that are worried about academics, this is good pedagogy is naturally Mm -hmm. self-regulating the good approach to pedagogy mm-hmm. makes a difference. And, and when you look closely at it, you will see self-reg and relationships embedded
3: within it. I,
0: I, I love the why and why now. Um, and and that, that is at some contrast with what often happens, which is not why and why now, but which is, what is the function of behavior? Uh, and uh, what, what is the reward or consequence that I need to provide to get the child to uh, meet the behavioral expectation that I have? Uh, rather than rather than understanding again the the why and why now, yeah. um, how have you in your um, you know in your career and doing the work that you do, how do you get people to begin to see beyond some of the the methodologies that are very common out there? Yeah. Uh, and again, I mean, I make this point a lot, but uh, you know, a lot of behaviorists out there don't care why. Uh, and I've had people say, "I don't care why it's happening; I just want to change it." Yeah. Um, what have yeah. you done to help make that? Change? shift
2: i you know i i'm not a behave you know my approach has always been relational and it's not behaviorist right. i have i have a lot of people that i've come to have a lot of respect for over the years that i've worked with um and and i'm trying to you know learn um but if the truth is what i see i mean this is just me speaking my 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 frank truth mm-hmm. that i think um that honestly it is time for us to really again if you're digging into the science um, and to begin to really rethink some of these things. And Stuart asks this. You always ask the question, "How's how's that working for you?" And I think right. it's actually a good a good question. And and because it's like, if it is working, I mean, I always say, if you're doing a certain approach with children and it's working, but be careful how you define working because right. you tend to right. define it from adults. I'm pretty moved. Um, I you know I follow the uh, actually autistic Twitter. Uh, feed and, and just because it's one that I learn a lot from. I like to learn from others and from their from others' perspectives. And when you go in there and begin to dive into the perspectives on the things that we adults or we teachers may have thought were working, you're you're going to read about harm. And and I think it's time for us to begin really unpacking that. The 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 you know if we start everything with some science and understanding that behavior is not a choice misbehaving so-called misbehaviors we want to think everything is happening right and they intention they knew better and they should have and you know stop crying and you know and like you said guy, with some of the children it's easy for us to see you know we talk about stress backpacks so it's easy as we know a little of the story um or we just you can use for some reason it, it maybe it's a visible uh difference that makes it uh, you know easier to see but then there's those children I always get get people that say oh yeah I believe in this stress behavior stuff but that kid you know you know, right, know right, the right, kid right. that punches somebody and then smiles or says yeah I know I did that
0: my, my, my son well, was a smiler my son was a I'm, nervous smiler yeah
2: yeah and when we go to functional <laughs> behavior so I you know I've been trained in it I've done it right. but it only gets you so far Right. So if I figure out the function of CJ's behavior, the kid who lit the lighter on the other the other boy's hair, okay, and so if you were to unpack that, it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it was math class, he hated math, and he really struggled in math, and I figure out, okay, the function of the behavior is that he's trying to avoid math. Yeah, okay, <laughs> maybe. Right, right. Right. Wow. <laughs> You know, so really we, I mean, we, we have a process where we go much deeper, but it's not a clinical process. It's one that all of us do, you know, it's a universal and we begin to say, why am I now? And, and it's, it's not to the child Like sometimes you can, you can involve teams and things, but you're trying to understand it. You know, why am I now? What might've been adding to it? You know, noticing, right. you know, beginning to unpack and thinking about the things you can do something. Cause we get do something about, it. we get stuck on what, you know, the child comes to school with a, a can of Pepsi for breakfast and we know they've been playing video games till half of the night. And then we're like, yeah, it's because of that. Well, no, you know, you know I'm right, not, I'm right, not right, great. Right, right. We try to influence right. that. But you have them seven hours, you know, 30 hours a week is a lot we can influence change. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to challenge um, how we do, especially how we deal with the children that struggle the most, because those are the ones that we go the most self-controlled. Those are the ones that we go the most behaviors. Those are the ones that, you know, like I, I'm working with, a, 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 I, I work with, I, I guess, a family. Um, it's a school that I'm working with and and they're really struggling with this really kind of cool kid. And, you know, everything is if-then, if-then, if-then. And I have seen if-then approaches to learning, you know, um, or, or first-then, sorry. First you do this and then you get this. it's so, a you know, rewards and so I've seen it work okay. Um, I've also seen teachers like Taryn O'Hara because they're running 20 different programs and I've seen it not work at all and you know we never stopped to think wow like did you not you know you look at that child that was so engaged over here on this certain project over there how can we bring the curriculum seeing differently and I, I think it's really time um, you know and I'm not suggesting I'm not I, I hope that I'm not uh, offending anybody if you've had spent a, a career dedicated to something like I don't know, ABA, for example. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm not taking away from you. You've made differences in life. You've committed to helping children and you're trying to make a difference. It, it is moments like this that we begin to think, okay, what is really working? Mm-hmm, I've mm-hmm. people tell me it's this that was working. Right. And then I'm always like, Stuart's always, uh, if somebody says, you know, this certain program is brilliant, it's working great, go in and look. Every mm-hmm. time you're going to see this interbrain connection, right. you're going to see reframing behavior that I see this child with soft eyes. You know, you're going to see. Oh, you're actually making moments to think about restoration. You know, and that—that's yeah. that, the other thing. It's go, 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 just so you right. can cope. And like, where's the fill up? It, yeah, the queen well, he- filling up.
0: Yeah, and you made the question of, 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 is it really working and really being critical of that? You know, I'm also a big fan of, of Alfie Cohen's work in terms yeah. of, yeah. Um, you know, thinking about, um, you know, rewards and consequence and that if your goal is short-term compliance, that you may get some short-term compliance. But yeah. is that really working? That's is that awesome. working for the child? Right. And, and of course, you know, uh, by and large, I've got a lot of concerns about compliance-based approaches. Um, and, you know, again, you know, ultimately what we want to see is we want to help the child. But, you know, there, there's often, as Mona might say, and, and hopefully I'm going to channel Mona well here, but, you know, Mona Della Hook might say that, you know, oftentimes demands are placed on kids that they're not even uh, developmentally able to meet. And, what? you know, you think about brain development kind of happening in terms of kind of myelination happening from back to front and, of course, executive function and, and whatnot. There's often demands on kids that really outstrip their their oh. uh, potential ability. Um, and how do we change that lens? How do we get people to, to understand that sometimes the expectations that they have may not match what a child's ability might be?
2: Well, I mean, I, I think it's one conversation at a time. I think we need to have the brave conversations. Right. I, I do think we need to mm, the biggest shifts that I see in people is when or when they can experience. Um, that they have a stress response system too. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like if I, it, and that it, like I could raise both of your heart rates right now. Maybe not, you're pretty chill, <laughs> but I could get other people online <laughs> and I could do something to make your face, go- you know, like I could. And also thinking about dialing, you know, dialing things down. And so really, you're getting really- me
0: concerned here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, you know, really, really beginning to think about things. Okay yeah thinking about things differently and I agree we need to move away from compliance-based education I actually feel like we're we're hitting a point I think the equity you know the things that we're facing I mean you you would have seen the news that happened what happened in Canada last week with my gosh 215 yeah. children and you know it's just just horrific right and you know and and we have many of our own problems here right Black Lives Matter you know it there's a, there's so much that we need to do and I think if we begin to marry the timing of the, of the de- democracy, like it has been at risk with equity, with the science of what's really learning, and and beginning to realize that that when teachers resort to how it's always been done, um, oh, neurodiversity divergence is not a crime. Yeah, no. I, I'm sorry, I
0: just brought that up because it seemed very relevant to, yes. uh, to what and we're not saying. Yes, and that it's
2: not something that we just tolerate. Right. I mean, it's right. time for a different world. And when you begin to think, if you ask young people their ideas on how to solve some of these problems, let me tell you, they've got some answers. So using this and making it safe for the people that, you know, when I have worked with a teacher that has kids in rows and insists on silence, um, I can't come in and go, ah, you know, if I was a principal, I might, you know, th- think about ways to support that. But I look at it, why am now? And it is also about feeling, you know, there's teachers that are afraid of somebody swearing at them. Once you realize the world doesn't come to an end and someone swears at you, you know, and beginning to think about how to respond to these differently. But I think we need to all begin pushing um, a little bit more. Like I, I am passionate around ever since you folks reached out. I, I, I saw something the last, last week. And I've heard people talk about these calming rooms and, in, you know and we get connected with calming there's all kinds of people that think self self-regulation the work I do is social emotional learning where they think it's self-control when it's really what makes both of those possible we look beneath right mm-hmm. um, but I've been shown these calming rooms and I, I'm, I'm wary of them because you know the neurodiversity you know there's also individual difference in terms of what calms us down I'm not calmed down in a quiet room I need to do something intense and there's kids like me right so we're different but Many of these rooms are where they take the children that are in trouble. You know, and all of a sudden you're looking at a room, you know, and so if you have a room like this out there, do you know that I'm inviting you to reflect on it? You know, it's not saying that it's important nobody leaves feeling guilty. I think we need to think forward, but reflect on it. Because if you really mean it to be calm, it's not a calming room. If it's, if it's a room, you know, in my in my experience, those things always happen in the principal's office or right outside. You know, that, that was the cool down place while, you know, you waited to sort of deal with things. But now we have these rooms and they have some calming features in them. But that's where we're taking children. And, you know, how are you ever going to calm down in a room where you were, you know, where you were, you know, the door was closed or you were you were even forced to, you know, just sit quietly, you know, and, um, you know, and versus you yeah. know, nonviolent interventions these sorts of things. Right. it's, it's- and, and
0: some of these are closets or padded rooms or concrete rooms. And, and, you know, the children in seclusion are put in there against their will uh, and the door is shut and held shut. And, and the thought that people, you know, because you often hear that, that the child needed to go in there to regulate. The idea that a six, seven, eight-year-old is going to be forcefully put into a room against their will and he'll have the door held shut or locked, I mean, you know, not only does it exceed the, ab- the child's ability to, cool. to be able to calm, I mean, the, the position that they're putting that child in, a fight-flight uh, I mean, it, it's absolutely horrendous. Um, you know, children, especially very young children, you know, need that presence of a calm, well-regulated adult to help them. So, so it's it's really painful when you hear these rooms being used in such a way um, to wow. be calming. And, and, and I fact hope everybody but. on
3: that, I
2: mean, the first thing we, we just need to, it just needs to stop. When you think about, there's nothing regulating about being put in a room by yourself. Right. I don't care if it has padded walls and, there's not not when you understand what self-regulation is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I have compassion. I understand that there's people that there's situations I was I ran safe and caring schools for Alberta for a year. I, I get say schools, um, you know, I, I get that there is issues and that, you know, but sometimes we frame things and think about this is what makes the school safer. This is not what makes the school safer. This is actually cueing the maximum amount of threat. We're at, we, it, it, you, restraint. If I force you, you have something mm-hmm. you really want to say, and I have um, use emotions on you to restrain you, it's excruciating and can do harm. Physical restraint from the very people that are supposed to be the support and the right. resources right. and the source of safety. Now, remember what I said in the beginning, just because we say that doesn't mean we have easy answers. Mm-hmm. But if we don't stay with that as our problem to solve, And figure out like if the the answers are upstream, it's sooner, (laughs) and it really is a holistic understanding and relationships. And we talk about havens; it's it's way sooner. But you know, as as teachers, we find ourselves we go red. You know, when I I worked with schools that have done you know that uh, police called and children that are six years old, right? You know, and and it's just, it's heartbreaking. And you know, how do educators get themselves into those situations? It's it's more than they can handle and they don't have the resources, but we don't even realize our view of the child and what we're seeing in front of us until we see that this child you know, is struggling and they need us, that this is not, that this is not the solution. And it absolutely, if you need some science, it's not regulating. There is not a single regulating thing about it. So.
0: Absolutely. Hey, Beth, I want to pause for one minute, just to uh, remind people that if you have questions or would like to ask questions, feel free to put those in the chat. We've been going for about an hour. um, And I do want to allow for some questions from folks that might be watching. And, and, And Susan, real quickly, if you can just kind of, I know we've talked about kind of, kind of your past and what you've been doing. But if we could talk a little bit about what you're doing now, what you're doing through the Merit Center, Uh, I had the uh, really amazing opportunity to talk to a number of people that you connected me with over the past week or two um, that have worked with you and work with the Merit Center and and just are doing amazing things. Uh, I'd love if you could share with our audience kind of what, what your passion is now and kind of what you're doing. And again, invite the audience. If you have questions, please put those in the chat.
2: So we're an organization. You can find us at self hyphen or dash reg dot C A. And we also have selfregglobal.com, dot uh, com, which is a it's two people, <laughs> Stuart and I basically, and one, you know, so we're just growing. But but we work, um, we have an online school. So that's sort of one of the cores of what we do where you can take all kinds of courses. You can take a school leadership course, early childhood course, um, foundations, which is understanding the science. There's there, there's and there's there's parenting courses, all the teen course, which is brand new. Um, but we we support schools, we support early childhood, we work with, I mean, we even work with some hospitals, we work with communities, all across Canada, there's even a little bit in the US, um, and some internationally. As well and it's always like-hearted people um, you know it's it's grown a lot in five or six years we went from there being three people to there's about 50 of us now wow. and and that includes it's a it's a core team of about 12 or 15 but that includes teaching assistants and people who facilitate courses and do workshops and things like that but we are very much believe in community-driven approaches we don't believe in one-size-fits-all or program we use a framework the self-rate framework Um, to support uh, schools organizations uh, all sorts of different groups there's and even some that are going you know national organizations as they begin to try and understand um, how to apply the science of of stress and self-regulation and um, you know recognizing how it can connect to their goals which is always about well-being and children thriving and supporting families and seeing differently Um, So, yeah, so, I mean, we do all sorts of things. We have a monthly Twitter chat that you can join in if you like. There's uh, live events. Our summer symposium is this year. It's our seventh annual. And about uh, 40 people present some different element of it. And we have people participating from around the world and uh, very much all focused on, uh, you know, Stuart's latest book talked about a just society. Really understanding the science, applying it to what we know, relationship-based approaches and uh, supporting the well-being of all So that's a little bit about what we do. Feel free to reach out. I'm Susan at selfreg.ca. I will do my best to, um, you know, if you're looking to connect with others or or learn from others, there's some amazing people
1: in our circle that uh, I'd be happy to connect you with as well. It's great work. And as I said, I'm I'm doing those monthly things. And I've started the parent one also, the parent course. Yeah, it's really, uh, and I have the books. Um, the self-reg and the reframed. And the thing about <clears throat> there was something um I can't remember which which time it was I heard him say, and I think it's probably was there a long time before I heard it was the reframe rather than refute. Yeah. And yeah. so when I think about that, because I think about um how we're working so hard to change hearts and minds, but we can't get past yeah. Um, the people, and we're seeing it in states across the United States, where we try to get laws passed. And there's a group of um, leaders, uh, educational leaders, um, unions, and some parents who are saying, don't take away my ability to restrain or seclude because I can't. Uh, we have to keep all the other kids safe. And we know that's not uh, we know that kids are less safe, and we have the science we have the research behind it, but we're not getting the message across, and what what i what I hear from Stuart and from you is we've got to find a way that we are finding what's common and how we can break through this that we're doing to get to let's think about this together, yeah, and figure it out.
2: And look, I, I am very happy to see every advocate out there shouting off the rooftops because I think that's important that the more, the more that we're hearing, you know, the calls for change, but I'm also practical. In the sense of, you know, over, over the years, I've tried to advocate for, I, th- I was joking with you before we got online that, you know, I've tried the approach of, <laughs> I've tried dropping the 10 research studies or, you know, the research says, which of course, you're never supposed to use that language, but it, it, it doesn't work. And when you actually look into how do we change human you know, belief systems? There's a whole field of science behind this. It is not easy. And what I'm always conscious of, and I, I sometimes forget it, but I, um, I I really try to keep it in mind, is w- the goal. And so I want The well-being of i want better things for children right i want educators to you know i want schools to, you know i would love to walk into schools where where everyone feels safe and you know and i can see how it can happen and i can bring you some science together for how that can happen but i can't change that person in front of me if i if i approach it in a way that puts up the the walls and that's really hard you know there's a lot of change that needs to happen in education and sort of you know in all sorts of areas um, but the work you're doing in particular is very hard because, you know, every time I read a story in the news, like my heart just—it it really eats at you. But that's why it's so important, and that's why I honor both of you also for having the courage to kind of stay with this and keep moving forward. But it's getting those conversations. I mean, I made it in one of my roles when I was a director in the ministry of I—I I really, um, you know, I worked every way I could to get change in the early years um in the northwest territories when i was there and i and and i just kept diligently working i was you know and bringing the research bringing it to life with stories um you know having boundaries of that like that's where you know i i think if there's leaders out there and you are capable of saying not in my school right that's not happening here we need to do figure this out in other ways right and you know like and it can start with little things like it's like saying okay well why are we I don't know, why do we think taking away a resource or using it as a carrot and a stick is an okay thing? Let's have a look at that. that. I mean, these are little things we do that add up and accumulate for a child. And then all of a sudden we see what looks like it was an explosive behavior. Meanwhile, it was, you know, it was the volcano building within. But I think it's important we keep having these conversations and we keep finding those middle grounds. Like the policymakers need to hear you. When you put yourself in their shoes, so I tried to advocate once for if this is a safe schools thing that I, I was too late, they'd already made the decision, but I did everything I could that <laughs> big school board that had spent twenty thousand dollars in very expensive um surveillance equipment for safe schools. It was right after a tragedy in the US. Um and so it was a response. Um and you know, I tried to encourage them to, you know, spend five thousand and take the other fifteen thousand and let's let's invest in, in in professional learning, let's let's look at you know understanding relationships and what actually creates safety. Kids need to feel safe to act safe. So I'm not saying that if you if if they you know if you trust them and create more safety that that means you're not going to have any problems. But I want to bet you're going to have less to deal with, and that's where Ross Green stuff is great. So it's all it takes a lot of work. But let's say if instead of thirty. I'm dealing with four and I can give them my hundred percent focus and I'm dealing with everybody else at the universal level. Right. And so it's really kind of thinking about about uh, realizing that that, you know, we do need these shifts. We need to keep having these conversations. But when I went to that group and I tried to advocate, like I don't need to tell them they're hurting kids. They think they're helping kids. Right. And there's misunderstandings where, and like, it's, it's hard for me sometimes um, when I stand on the opposite of somebody that believes something very different, you know, really hard, you know, they think, oh, that child just needs, you know, more punishment or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. like, no, (laughs) but it's hard when I look at that other person, but I have to see that they actually really believe that. So we come together around the fact we all care about kids. We all care about making schools safer. Yes. And unions can be great partners when when we find our way to connect, we care about teachers for safety too and for well-being. And I want teachers to feel joy. You yes. know, and it's, if you chose this career, you're going to have days you pull your hair out, but it should be something that feels fulfilling and joyful. So when we can find something that we all agree on, okay, now let's, but you've got to build the relationships first. Just like I said, the things we're talking about for kids are what we have to do with the adults we're working with as well. And finding ways, like, I mean, my, my, my approaches with government were... I had to put myself in their shoes. What matters to them? Or I then try to figure out ways that we can find the commonality. Because the big fear is that if they don't have these, what's going to happen to that? You know, you, you know they, there's this perception that, that um, you know, that, that this was an explosive behavior happened out of nowhere and no recognition that actually, you know, if we'd have done a whole bunch of stuff a little bit earlier in the day, you know, or recognize this is a really hard week and we don't need to know every reason why. We trust ourselves and let's. what are some supports that we can put in place and how can we think about this and who's connecting with this child and who's checking in on them? You know, some of the things we could do earlier, could we even cut them in half or even 10%? Isn't that worth, you know, I think it's going to be a lot mm-hmm. more, right? But even isn't that right. sort of unpacking and beginning to think, um, you know, and really investing our, our, our educators need to feel well to be able. They can't lend their comment. They're not common. They're stressed out. No wonder. There's compassion for that one too, right?
1: I I think of the teachers as being the teachers and other staff as being kind of like the position I had in middle management. That you could know what to do and what would work. But if you had um, top management saying, "I want more productivity. I want more this. I want more that. I want you know," and and the teachers, there have been these programs. Uh, I mean, these expectations with, uh, you know, the testing, the standardization, right. yeah. uh, all kinds of things that are not good for kids or teachers. Yeah. And so when we think of it from that perspective, um, you know, we have been trying to do that, to try to to partner with teachers um, to, to, to have the... Because I don't believe, I, I, like you, believe people are doing the best they can. Um, and so it makes me think that... Uh, like you said, the policymakers need to understand the science and understand the implement, implement, implications yeah. <laughs> of, of, these, of these laws they're making yeah. that are hard I, to I find the
2: best, the best approach is ha- mm. finding ways for having people to, to feel that they notice they have a, that they can relate to themselves personally. Like my joke mm-hmm. with, the, with these tips, I see there's a great question in there, about how to explain practices are, are inappropriate.
0: I, I actually had my cursor on that question,
2: and I, and I think
0: you've been kind of answering part of that for, for a few yeah. minutes now, but I wanted to see if you had anything else to add to that.
2: Yeah, and it's a tricky one, and I'm not sure whether Bobby's asking this question as a as a, as a parent or a teacher, but these are the sorts of things we have. We do have a parenting page if you want to join a, a neat group. It's the self-reg parents. Um, it's, a, it's a private group, but there's lots of uh, folks that are self-reg, and it's parents to parents, so it's lots of Folks in there that are um, are taking courses and those sorts of things So, um, but lots of parents just sort of seeking support and the thing that I hear over and over again, you know and and it like it's my version of my heartbreak when I hear some of these stories is that um you know parents talking about their their child not being understood and it's hard on a parent and so that's the first thing I'm gonna say when when you're you know, you you just sense that your child is being treated unfairly and you're trying to advocate and you, you know, um, it, it's not an easy, it's not an easy route. And especially if you've got a child that you, you know, you've gotten phone calls over and over again, <laughs> you know, some. I mean, I know many that get a call every single day, right? So, um, you know, I, I think that there's no sort of magic um, approach here, but I do suggest that, um, you know, continue to advocate. Um, ask, like, do not, you know, we sometimes worry about being a bug. No, bug, (laughs) right? And ask for opportunities. I like, I like leaving a little, an article here. We have articles on ODD, for example, and Mona wrote a great article on ODD, which is, uh, you know, so somebody's, uh, you know, it's just, even if it's not a diagnosis of of ODD and you're, you know, somebody's saying your child won't follow at all, like it's interesting to begin to open up the conversation um, but I think we can ask questions like one of the biggest things that that I, I have a habit and I hope you haven't noticed it too much of just talking too much right and asking and listening can really go a long way like I told you I ask, how do you define self-regulation um, and that's actually a really important question and when you listen without you're not ready there to go in and tell them how wrong they are it's just you'll see people go um, uh, um, you know they'll, they'll struggle a little bit so asking questions like okay well what have you tried okay so the practice is inappropriate i mean i'm assuming you're talking in general if you're talking about uh, seclusion and restraint you can say that you know say that out loud you're trying to get it to the highest the highest levels and and really affect change and i mean i worked in government for a long time letters letters get clocked (laughs) they get responded to and keep you know that sort of thing but if you're just thinking of a management perspective and you know your child is constantly getting their recess taken away or they're always on timeout or, you know, um, I don't know, any sorts of things like that. And you may have a more serious version, but it's, it's the same sort of thing. It's like, well, what did you try, you know, and beginning to talk about, so, um, you know, so what were the things that, you know, advocating for the supports, advocating for the things ahead of time, being the voice for your child, involving your child where your child is old enough and capable enough to sort of contribute setting up times for those meetings. And you may feel like you're driving teachers crazy, um, but it is a parent role and it's something that can be really, can really make a difference. So, um, you know, we have lots of schools. Um, I, I, one of my daughter's schools, I tried, I volunteered to work, to present at it multiple times, all kinds of free and kind things. And they never invited me until the parent advisory invited me. And they wow. said, I said, you know, I have a daughter in the school. And you're like, what? They didn't even know. So it was really interesting. So the parents brought me in. And it's not like I you know, like so I struggle with these things too. I'm struggling right now. And you know, honestly, and my daughter's uh grade seven right now, right? And she's in a different school and you know, but I I'm I'm a presence and I'm constantly asking questions and I'm really trying to um you know it, it's kind of like the squeaky wheel gets the grease but it's also mm-hmm. when you you keep the highlight i worry about the kids that don't have a parent that is advocating right. Right. and sometimes that's that's because they're dealing with so much themselves right? right and so if you work in the community and you're especially marginalized populations and you can be that other person advocating with we can make a difference that way but i think it's keep asking questions you know getting it back to what good practice is Um, if you have specific questions, you know, pitch them out and we'll, uh, and we'll try to sort of think about what the science is, but also really know there's this like-hearted group of people. There's this growing movement in science and the science is backing what you intuitively understand. And as a parent, trust your intuitive sense as being right to something. We tend to not want to, you know, get in the way of schools, um, but we can also challenge things. If, If math for CJ was too hard. He really didn't understand it and he was felt very uncomfortable and, you know, didn't want to be called out on the math. was part of it. You know, there was that when he was flicking the the lighter, he was actually getting um, a little bit of sensory input. Right. There was sensory integration stuff with him, a little bit of sensory input. Um, that was keeping him, you know, settled. If I was at a talk with all of you, I would not be sitting at, at, if one of you was giving a talk, I would be walking around the room because that's what I need to be able to pay attention. My daughter's best friend doodles and they wanted to get her to stop doodling. But you ask her a question, she remembers everything. So it's these things that we need to challenge these status quo ideas that limit and, and the lens. I do think the equity lens can help us because um, you know, if it's neurodiversity, if it is culture, language, you know, religion, any sort of area that is a diversity, you know, we look at everything as being the same as we, you know, we learned as how I was for me when I went to school in Nova Scotia and the East Coast of Canada. No, it's a very different experience. And so really kind of challenging that in ways that stay in the conversation. Right. right. So Think of the window of tolerance. Don't push the other person out of their window of tolerance. If you've actually pushed them away. You want to bring them closer. Right. Keep the conversations going and tell stories, find people that can share stories and speak, Um, you know, that that is if you want to look at policy change can make a huge difference.
1: That is the third Um, time. That's the third time I've heard that about the stories in the last week. I'm I'm going to be doing NAMI smarts, which is teaching people how to tell their story to influence many different things. There was also a, a, conver, a session yesterday with Hear This Now organization. If you haven't seen that, that's a really great organization, and and they talked about you know what that's what moves statistics don't move people, yeah. science don't, science doesn't move people the stories do, yeah. so and then you're uh, talking about it too, so thank you for that. Do. <laughs> so
0: a couple of quick questions here. I want to try to get to uh, this one from Violet uh, says, my son moves impulsively when he's dysregulated and people think his movements are intentional. Does self-reg framework recognize and address such circumstances or is it more about preventing the dysregulation through relationship?
2: Yeah, no, it absolutely does. So we, we have five steps. So it's, rec- you know, reframe the behavior, recognize and reduce the stress and then reflect enhanced stress awareness so that's having your son notice that um so it's a really important one right so how many times have we told children you know we hear that our children maybe are told to suppress something so suppress an emotion suppress a you know movement the hands are flapping or you know the wiggling um you know or any of these sorts of things and when we understand it from the lens of self-regulation as a a brain body the, the brain and body are always trying to find um, balance homeostasis right in all these different areas it's actually serving a purpose um, and so no it's not stuff that down It's be curious about it why and why now in some cases you know we might be advocating um so the hand flapping is an example so we might be advocating for normalizing that and making space for that and, and absolutely that should be just something that it's not something we're trying to move anyone out of it's something we're trying to realize okay that's actually Regulating, that's self-regulation, and it's not maladaptive. It's growth promoting because it allows the child, the teen, the adult to to stay in the conversation, to stay with the learning. and, and But it's also a telling you that the stress is increasing. So as somebody that's trying to understand the stress of others, you can see the signs of of, of when, you know, my daughter, um, she reverts to, a hope she doesn't mind me sharing this, but she'll, she'll still sometimes put her thumb in her mouth um Not very often, but she's done it a, a few times in the last week and the last couple of weeks, and it's the stress of everything to do with the COVID lockdowns mm-hmm. like that. And I haven't seen that for a couple of years, so I could go, "Don't do that," or whatever your teeth and your orthodontist. But it's it's just information for me, right? So so no. First of all, embrace it if it's something that is a maladaptive mode of self regulation. So. I mean, we all have those, right? Like, you know, what do you, what do, you do to, um, you know, to, to make stress manageable for, for a, a little bit of time, right? So I joke about my Miss Vicky's chips, for example. And I mean, you got, you got, there's an exact crunch and salt and sugar and, you know, and I have an urge and an urge is actually um, a stressor, right? So I, it, it, it only happens at certain amount of times. But I might say, okay, that's not the greatest way to deal with it. Like, I'm not trying to self-control myself into a diet. Sometimes I go and eat the whole bag. But I do know that when I eat those, then I feel tired, you know, like I I feel worse the next day because my body has – that's it's working to get that as a stressor out of my my body. So, you know, if our children are doing things that are are allowing them to cope, embrace that, Mm -hmm, okay? okay. If it's maladaptive and you think it's actually causing more problems and – we really need to get away from the things that is about optics because optics are other people's problems, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if I'm doing something that seems a little weird to you and I'm not hurting anybody and it's not a problem for me, then that's actually other people's issue. Right. So, um, but if it is something that is a maladaptive mode, like, you know, getting stuck on, on, you know, on video games for too long can be a maladaptive mode. Then we want to recognize it for what it is. It's a source of regulation, but it's maladaptive because it's causing more stress, and you're actually left more depleted. So we try to find ways to move it to more growth promoting things, or at least a little bit, you know, um, in positive ways. So I hope that answered.
1: Mm-hmm. Let me let me just uh, play onto that because I could I could refer I could state that like we want to teach them a replacement behavior because that behavior was not good for them that's the language of yeah yes but that's not what i'm hearing you say
2: no and, and i'm not a fan of that like i've worked in pbs or pbis schools as well and it's you know i had a colleague once help me understand that they do look at environments and i really believed in environments in whole school so i believe in those sorts of things uh, but no i'm not suggesting a replacement behavior uh it's about understanding and doing it with the child right you're not trying to change anybody's behavior behaviors do change when you it's what's really interesting is when you change what you're seeing and you make space for it you know if I was to tell my daughter to stop all I did was notice it right and she's like oh yeah right you know and 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 so it's it's we're we're making space for it we're not it's very much within the relationship this is not a program or or a scripted kind of approach to things
1: and I would say what I hear you saying is not my goals, not my goals imposed on you, the child. No. It's it's. You ask the child, "Are you is is this working for you, or is it adding more stress?" And then, if they say it's more stress, then you may work together on on finding yeah, a way. Really
2: just noticing it, right? Yeah. Co-regulation is is not about me reg you for the rest of your life. That's just behaviorist, right? So yeah. it's you know it, it's me, you know creating safety through boundaries and conversations. And, you know, like if you ask my daughter, she'd say, you're always talking to me. I am, right? But I also pick my moments. I know the teachable moments. And I'm, you know, I have I have this rule that I, it's happy, healthy, and safe. And so if it, if, and I know that's very vague, but I try to not make too many decisions. And then the ones that I actually do, they're, they they just are what they are and they're done with love, right? So um, it's really, you know, I invite parents, if you're like the, the, the example from Violet, um your your child's not moving impulsively um his body is moving okay so it's a reaction to the stress. there's no thought he may not even realize why he's doing it and it's allowing him to feel better it's keeping it within the window of tolerance Hmm. right um you know i'm actually not i'm sitting in sort of across like legged sort of way and it's allowing me to stay present and 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 with you as well so it's really having those soft eyes and you know sometimes it might be really dysregulating for us if they're like (laughs) Right, But that's a different problem. That's us realizing, okay, that really makes me uncomfortable. Um, you know, finding your moments when you can say, you know, how does it feel when you're like you're all wiggly and those sorts of things? But um, really what you're focusing on um, is it's like like the idea of, you know, people talk about fidgets and I talked about the, the, the you know, fidgets became this fad with toys and things mm-hmm. like that. But sometimes they're actually genuine. And my daughter, like I'm using the example for her, she had, for a long time, not anymore, she sort of stopped, she had, she used to make these little um, squish balls with sand and balloons. And they were, and the teacher didn't want her to bring these to school. And, you know, because she says they're just toys. But how I know it was a fidget for her was she would read and the ball, right? So, So what you're doing is think about what really matters, what are the most important things. Think about the hills to climb. You know, if your child's struggling, you know you're gonna work like the, the certain things that that are just their ways of regulating um that is is something that's happened to them naturally you don't learn self-regulation you're driven to self-regulate our bodies brain and body self-regulate there's no readiness for it it's just we're trying to think about more growth promoting ways um for children that are not naturally showing that some children will be finding their own growth promoting ways already others the kids that we're talking about are the ones that have no idea how to find their calm when they're losing. Mm-hmm. Know, the red light. They have no idea how to get back there. They could pair it off to you on oh, calm. You know, my engine's running just about right, but you know, <laughs> it's just, it, it, so it's really relational and with heart. Um, and when you screw up, say that, just say, oh, oh, you know, I wish I'd have handled last night, you know, it raised my blood pressure too. I wish I'd have handled that better. And I didn't. And I love you. And you know what I mean? And that's actually also laying the, the, that you know relationships can be repaired. That this is about being human, and you'll you'll see the changes start to come.
0: I, I, I love that. I think it's it's so important. I mean, you know, one that um, you know we have our own. Um, you know, we're we're not always perfect, um, but to to share that with kids, and 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 you know, again, one of the things that that concerns me. It's it's not just about how kids are sometimes treated in schools, but how kids are treated in life uh, sure. sometimes more as. Uh, possessions to control rather than relationships yeah. to to grow.
2: Right. So oh, the right. child is part of this. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think yeah, I think we can honestly look at, at the human rights documents and begin to think about that as part of our advocacy with governments, you know, for mm-hmm. people that are trying to advocate up, mm-hmm. um, you know, these things are in writing. These things have been signed on to. Do we really believe them and why? You know?
0: yeah yeah unfortunately we've been lagging in some of those so oh, yes. uh, you what know it, it's time for change yeah
2: it yeah. is it is and and why, why I love the science because it's hope right to, to mm-hmm. me that was the magic thing when ten years ago when I first found Stuart um, and there were others that in this realm that that uh, have moved me right that you've mentioned several today um, but Stuart, the way he synthesized it together it just suddenly made things about my life make sense. And it helped me, you know, my mom, before she passed away, she, uh, she passed away a couple of years ago. And she said to me, you're, you're just, you're so different than you used to be. Because <laughs> I was so intense, right? And, 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 you know, I've been told if we talked, Beth and I joke, because I had a, a colleague that used to call me Scrappy-Doo, right? And in a good way, I guess, most of the <laughs> time. But sometimes it was, you know, uh, and, and just, I, and I think that beginning to recognize that I am human, and oh, you know, and that's a cue that I need to actually shut off the computer and go have an evening. And that that you know, stopping the twenty, wearing like a badge of honor. I'm working seventy hours a week, uh, you know, and that realizing that yeah, that especially those of us that are are in the work at the well being of kids, whether it's your own kids as parents, and some some parents have more work, you know, they just there's more on their plates than than other parents. Um, or whether it's you're in education or you're in healthcare. Um, that we we also like it's that idea of the being on the plane you've got to put on your mask first (laughs) and it is not a selfish thing to 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 prioritize a bit of self-care and i mean i was a single mom for a lot of years people would say how do you find it well if it's a few minutes it's a few minutes but even just knowing that you can do that because that's an important part of all of this um, it's gotta be not just do do do. There's gotta be some B B B too, right? You know?
0: Well well this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Yeah. And you know, I, I say every time we do one of these that that I, you know, I really enjoy the conversations that we're able to have. Um, you know, you talk about uh, you know the inspiration that you've gotten for others from others, and uh, certainly can share with you. I mean, you, you are inspiring to to all of us, and I, I imagine all the people that will be watching this. Um, you know, really, really appreciate you taking some time to to join us and and share your experiences. And I, I love just the the um, you know the fact that you kind of shared your your story about how you you know kind of came to where you are now and the work that you're doing to to affect change so I want to thank you and Beth I don't know if you have any final uh final thoughts to share
1: I will just say I am so appreciative of your unselfish sharing and the wisdom that you have and how you explain things because I I think it's going to help us all and I want to do it again <laughs> I'll come back anytime. Be careful. <laughs> be careful.
0: Make hard. sure you write that down, Beth. We're, we're going to be contacting Adam right away.
3: We have that on tape. <laughs> thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you so much, uh, Susan. We really appreciate it. And we're going to be talking, of course, next uh in our next session to uh Dr. Schenker. So um we'll we'll hear more from what you're doing there uh you know at the Merit Center. So thank you so much again. And I'm gonna let you and Beth go. I've got a couple announcements here to make. Bye, everyone. Thank you, guys. All right. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that today. Uh, I had a, cu- a quick announcement to make in terms of what's coming up next. Um, you know, again, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, you know, we do these because we want to really get good ideas out there of things that we can be doing to, you know, help help our kids and help others uh, do better uh, to, of course, you know, eliminate all the things that we're doing, like restraining seclusion uh, to kids and and really better support them. So uh, appreciate you all joining us today for this. I do want to mention to you that we've got another session coming up in two weeks. And in two weeks, we will be talking to Dr. um So also with the Merit Center, and we're going to be talking more about self reg uh, and actually, this is a recorded interview. We recorded this uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, so this one will not be live, uh, but you'll be able to join us live and, and watch it. And we really look forward to that. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you again. Take care.